0: Our pastor, our head pastor, ladies and gentlemen, John Lee. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> okay. are, are you more of a Mayo fan, Jay? A Mayo fan? Like this mustard? You're not a mustard guy. Mayo. Okay. If you, Jay, if you saw The Birdcage, the movie The Birdcage, one must have a little color. Okay, anyway, some of you just go, oh, never heard The Birdcage quoted in church. Okay. I don't even know what that is, The Birdcage. Hey, we're starting a series on the uh, Holy Spirit uh, for the next seven weeks leading up to Pentecost, from Easter to Pentecost. And today we're going to talk about who's the Holy Spirit. Now, in my experience of sort of just dialoguing with people over the years, or people actually and uh, just grabbing me and saying, John, you know, I had this interesting experience where it seemed like God kind of became real to me. And I'll give you some of just a, a short list of ways that people said God just sort of made himself In some sense, closer to them. Sometimes people have been out in nature. Have you ever been out in nature and just felt like, wow, this just feels good. Like, it's not just beautiful. I mean, like, all of a sudden I'm touching something. Like, I have a friend who was out in the the Rocky Mountains uh, last fall. And he said every morning he would get up and he would sit on these fallen trees and the sun would come up over these mountains and he said it was like a worship experience. He just was in awe of how beautiful it was. You have that experience, a lake, whatever. Okay, uh, sometimes, have you ever felt that around art or music? You've heard some music and it's like, and you weren't expecting it, it just kind of took your breath away, right? Uh, all kinds of, of art, entertainment stories, you know, literature, movies, music, uh, that can, it can have that effect. Sometimes, believe it or not, food can, you can be, and go, wow, this, like, it's a moment, like, this is so, and your mind goes beyond just the sensory experience to, there's something good that was, that this was designed to convey, besides just to make me satisfied. There's goodness beyond this. Everybody, less so, you guys are eating too much fast food, if that's, if that's true. You need, to, you need to sit down at uh, a, co- a meal with a few courses. Uh, sex. Sex is spiritual. Good sex. Can, some of you are looking at me like, are you actually saying that? Yes. Yes. It's God's idea. And there's, there's moments where people go, wow. Now, a lot of people don't come up and tell me that as a pastor. They don't come up and say, John, I had great sex this weekend and I felt close to God. But it has snuck out of a few people's mouths, and they told me that, and I've heard it from other people. We won't say who it was here in this audience. Uh, sometimes people, when they have, like I remember, I was already a believer, but I remember when they handed me my first child, my son Stephen, I just looked at him, and I was like, <gasps> I, was just, I just started crying, like, oh my. It wasn't, he wasn't just beautiful. It was like, this is a moment where God, again, God, like you know, I, God's everywhere. He's, he's revealing, like just that face. And there's times when the kids are running through the hall out here, uh, you know, when they're not like whacking each other with things. No. And you see in those children, wow, just the, the beauty, childlikeness that God says, you know, if you look at childlikeness and, and if you even move towards childlikeness, there's something of, of the kingdom that breaks in there. But let me tell you something these are still, all these are beautiful, but they're secondhand experiences. They're, they're, they're valuable in and of themselves because, you know, the truth is God is so great, He can't be hidden. He's just constantly revealing himself. And a lot of times we're too busy, we're distracted, and we don't see it. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're getting into, you know, a close encounter of the third kind. Like the first kind is you just read the Bible and you think, well, there's a God out there. Then you get these little glimpses like I described. We could have, I could have mentioned 10 other ways that you could encounter God. But then we get into this person of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, church, a lot of times the Holy Spirit is a word an idea, a doctrine to believe, but he is meant someone who we experience. So, what I want to do today is I want to look at two stories that kind of tell the same story. They're about the baptism of Jesus, but one just sort of describes what happened, and then another one does a little interpreting of what happened. And out of that, I want to just sort introducing who the Holy Spirit is. There's there's three things we can take away from this the, the baptism of Jesus, but I wanted to sort of look at two sides of it. So. First of all, if you don't have a Bible with you, under the chair seat in front of you, there's paperback Bibles, and they look like this. And we're going to be looking at, uh, let's see, Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And I'll tell you what page it is. Find it. It's Mark chapter one. It's page six ninety four in our 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 loners. So trust me, this this subject of the Holy Spirit is so deep. We're just going to sort of dip our toes in the water today. But each week, we're going to build on that. We're going to introduce a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. And the goal of this is that you would have some information, but that information would lead to an experience. It would lead to a a growing familiarity with the Holy Spirit and a growing encounter with Him. He's working in your life. You're You're going to see in this, it's sort of part of the point of the story is God's trying to show us just how available He is, how the Spirit's at work all around us. So we'll look at Mark 1 and then we're going to go to John chapter 1 also. So Mark 1 verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, the Jordan River. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven you're my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he is with the wild animals. And the angels attended him. Okay, so now turn over to the Gospel of John, which is page uh, 736. And we're going to start reading John chapter 1, verse 29. So find it there. Everybody found it yet? John one twenty-nine. So John says this. come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me, and he's talking about God, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see spirit come down and remain is he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Uh, so in these two scenes, the first one in Mark just describes how Jesus was baptized. There's a Jordan River, these services John the Baptist is preaching, and Jesus is baptized, and the Spirit comes down on him. And so something he sees, John, and we don't know if other people saw, but John saw the Holy Spirit come down. And it's interesting that he said that uh, Mark says John saw heaven being torn open. So there was was phenomena all around this. And then on top of that, there was this voice that said, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And so there is this sense of, God was showing up in a very unusual way. And then the second place uh, we looked at where John's talking about what he saw, the Gospel of John, was talking about what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said that he came so that everybody might know who Jesus was and that God who sent John had communicated to him, You're him, Jesus is going to look just like anybody else. You're not going to recognize him unless you learn to see the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to be this identification that that marks him out. And then the spirit that you see on him and the experience he has is what I have for everybody. Because when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit came on him. And John looked at that and he started telling people what he experienced. He's going to help everybody come into that experience. at that point, he was talking to a group of people who, for the most part, their lives were characterized by a second kind of, exp- they, they, were, they had this second-hand relationship with God. That the Spirit of God was dwelling in the temple in the middle of their city, their capital, Jerusalem. And God would bless them if they went to the temple and they offered the sacrifices and they went through the, you know, the prescribed rituals to gain acceptance by God. And God blessed them, you know, all these ways. And they felt close to God. That temple was, you know, like the centerpiece of of their lives. But it was a second-hand kind of thing. Just like people that experience God in nature, or in food, or art, or a child. Those are all legitimate ways to see something about who God is. But God means for us to know more, and for it to be way more personal. And so Jesus came along, and it's like... He showed them what they're meant for. And there's three things that, that we can take out of this little story that Jesus And each of them relate to us in a very day-to-day personal way. There are three things. The, the first one was the Spirit. Well, the, the point of that, that story is who's the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is the personal, empowering presence of God in the world. And in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, The word spirit that they chose to use to designate this mysterious person who's God is the word for air and for breath. And God's trying to say something to us. I made this point before, so you've heard it. But just to remind you, God's trying to say, His spirit is we're permeated with. The fact that we breathe air in and out is like a a moment-by-moment parable that God wants to invade our lives. He wants to fill us. And that, that just like air is so crucial to life, God and his presence is even more crucial. So Jesus... Shows us in his baptism that who is the Holy Spirit? That's the question. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is God's personal empowering presence in the world. He's personal. God becomes personal. So the Spirit isn't just a force. You know, a force, a feeling, like a goose bump that comes over you. The Spirit is a person, just like the Father is a person, and son. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But people tend to think of the Spirit impersonal. yet he's not. very personal. And so the Spirit in Jesus' baptism gives us this picture of something that we're being invited into. And John the Baptist says to all the people from then on, once he met Jesus and he saw that, he said, this, he's the Lamb of God, he's the one that's going to take away the sin of the world, and he's also the one who's going to immerse you in God's personal empowering presence. And so there's three things you can take away from this. The Spirit is the one who pursues the Spirit is the one who points us to Jesus, and the Spirit is the one who immerses us in the presence of God, so that we're, because, you know, the picture, of, I'll, I'll point this out in a second, the, the word "baptized," baptizo in Greek, it was it was a word that they used in their day-to-day life, and it meant, well, you could take three different images, it meant like taking a cloth and dipping it in dye. You take a, so you take a a, a white cloth, and you dip it in some blue dye, you pull it out. the cloth is permeated by the dye, and the dye becomes blue. so what he 's saying is God wants to dip us in his presence to the point that when we are pulled out we're immersed and we're changed it's a It's a picture of something of being overwhelmed overwhelmed it's not just a picture of like a nice thought goes through your head. nicer thoughts come in than we're than are normally there. It's a picture that suddenly God's thoughts, God's way of His perspective, penetrates your mind and your being. God's feelings, God's heart, God's love, God's presence. It it just it penetrates every part of you, and it's not something that you have to get cleaned up to experience. It's just something you welcome as a gift, and then it does the thing that you want to do, which is change. It changes you. So the Spirit pursues us. Look at this for a second. John, who we talked about, he was empowered. If you read his story, when he was still in his mother's womb, he had this, his mother and and he as as an unborn baby were filled with the Spirit when Mary came into his house. And then her father, I mean, uh, John's father, Zachariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit, all because Jesus came on the scene. So John was empowered by the Spirit, and he was sent out to proclaim to people, you know, that God's going to show up, the good news that God was on his way, and the way that you prepared for him, well, I'll tell you about that in a second, but he he was calling the people to prepare for God's coming, but he was a picture, the Spirit came on him, and he would go out to where people were, and his whole goal was to awaken them how much they needed God, that, that We all kind of live in this satisfied condition that everything's okay enough until God comes along and he begins to pursue us and he begins to make us dissatisfied with the status quo. It's like sometimes we walk around and we're just frustrated and what we let our frustration do, we let it sort of percolate into irritation and what we do then is we direct it out at the people around us and we just say, Ourselves, if those people would just straighten up, I wouldn't feel so frustrated. But that frustration, if you would sit with it and you'd sift it, you would find underneath it a hunger for something more than you have. But we often don't do that. We just sort of live on the superficial level of our life and we just are frustrated with the people around us and, and irritated. And we don't stop, and I don't mean we're not ever aware that we have to change, but we miss the fact that God's trying to stir us up because he wants to satisfy us. And so we miss what he's inviting us into because we think the problem is in circumstances around us. And they, you might have reason to be irritated and frustrated with the people around you, but even if they change, it wouldn't satisfy what's really inside you. Anybody, anybody ever experienced that? I mean, just even lie to me. Just say, yeah, Sean. Sean. So I just feel I 'm connecting to the audience. OK, good. I feel better. All right. So John is preaching this message, and the people are waking up, but it 's surprising the people that are waking up, you would think that the really good people, the good church people, the religious people, who are already faithfully trying to relate to God and do the right thing, you would have thought when John came along, they would be the first in line to respond to him, but they were it was. To John's and everybody's surprise, all the people, sort of, you know, the troublemaking people in town were the ones that responded to John. In fact, John made it, his kind of crusades were housed out in the desert. So if, if what John was saying spoke to you, to hear more and sort of sort it out, you had to go out in the middle of nowhere, And, you know, most people, when they're going to have a concert or a big gathering, like, they'll go in the center of towns and communities, and they'll hire the biggest venue because, you know, people want something like that. John did the exact opposite. He went, like, went out in the middle of nowhere, desert. And it was a picture. He was trying to to work with what God was already doing in, in their hearts was, you've got to realize the problem is you. You've got to face that. And so, God was pursuing him, And the fact that Jesus went right down into the middle of John's baptismal service in the Jordan River, it's just another picture that God was pursuing them. He was, So he pursues you. Are you experiencing anything like that in your life right now? Where, where you're frustrated with certain things. You're hungry. You feel parts of your life, there, you see parts of your life that you just go, I can't fix this. this. My life doesn't work the way I think it's supposed to. And maybe you've, you've even tried this, and this, and this, and this, and it's not working. And you're wondering, what is the solution? Well, before you sort of slip back into your old, salvation schemes, your old ways of coping, the next point is where John directed the people to, and it's the Holy Spirit, one of the things he does, is he pursues us, and then he points us to Jesus. And when he points us to Jesus, we're supposed to see, like he said, the Lamb of God who takes away my, There's, there's someone who's come To take this burden off of me and free me from its power. And what people who followed John learned, because John was a wise communicator, was you are the architect of your own misery. And if you want to come to terms with the misery you're in, you have to start there. It doesn't mean that other people don't contribute, but that's what it always comes down to. That's why John said, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing to some of his followers, people who were really serious about getting their lives together and preparing for the Messiah, he said to them, that's who you need to follow. I just set it up so you'd follow him. And if you follow him, he will take away your sins, and then he will immerse you in his... What you're getting secondhand through my communication that's awakening you, God wants to, to give you the full buffet. It comes through Jesus. But what they had to do was they had to come to terms with that i got to repent. Repentance is this hard. It's a hard thing to own up to. What, What is my part of this problem? I mean, I'm not naive to know that every marriage has two problems. Every friendship has two problems. Every workplace has many problems. Every church has lots of problems. But the problem solving always starts with, and you can tell how much you've really gotten the message that God's trying to get to all of us is when you start with yourself. When that becomes the reflex. That's your starting point. Not everybody else. There's a time to speak up. But you always start, like Jesus said. Take, take what? The log out of your own eye first. Then you'll see well enough to deal with it. But that's not... Our instinct, our instinct is we're always reaching out. We've got tweezers and pliers and every every tool. that we, We've got a whole toolbox of how to fix other people. Whatever size the thing in your eye is, I've got that size tool for you. If you just lay down on my couch and open your eyes and I will go to work on you. And I had someone last week, I made this point in, in the email message. Uh, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I was in a fight with the person in the car with me, all the way to church, and both of us were blaming each other for <laughs> what was going on, and it was like, how did you know that we were doing that? You busted us, you know? this that was no fun. We came for the hope of the resurrection, but they said, I, gosh, I really needed that. I don't know how, how I couldn't see that I really was the problem. And it's painful to do that, but Jesus... Jesus doesn't just leave you in your mess. What he does then is he baptizes us with his spirit, because that's the promise John points to, right? He didn't just say, The Lamb of God takes away your sin. It's just about sin, 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 sin. You always have to face that, but he says, If you'll face it, there's this present that will change, that's a game. It's not an idea, it's not a principle, it's not a teaching, it's a person. And and John used that picture. He said, He's going to baptize you, He's going to immerse you. And they knew John was associated with baptism, it was his brand. People went down in the river, John baptized them under water, they came out, they're soaking wet. That is the brand that John carried. And he said, I baptize you with water, blah, 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 blah. He is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And the people are like, oh, I don't know what that is, but that sounds cool. We've heard that that's what the Messiah is going to do. Will he really do it for us? And so that's the third thing that he does is the Holy Spirit is the one that immerses us in the presence of God. We're invited to this, and the hunger that we have that is awakened by so many things, but it isn't satisfied fully, because good food is supposed to awaken a hunger in you that it can't satisfy. Marriage, oftentimes when I'm, I'm doing uh, weddings, if they let me do a little talk, I will say, you guys, do you know why you cry all the time when you go to people's weddings? Because it is emotional because on many levels, there's lots of reasons why it touches us, but there's a level that it touches us that we're not aware of, is that this man and this woman that are married are a picture of the love that God has and the kind of relationship he wants to have with. That's a picture, the bride of Christ and Christ. And there's a joy in that moment that you capture, you touch, but couples think, this is this is the the honeymoon, and it just can't get any better than that. It doesn't take very long to realize Sometimes it doesn't get any worse than that, right? You find out really quick. Uh, I, I can't, I'm trying to think who it was. It was Tolstoy who said, uh, if you can't handle being alone, don't get married. Chuck, the, mar- the chuckling is from married couples, all right? Single <laughs> people are going, what? I'm dying for that. It could be pretty lonely. It could be very lonely because it can awaken something in us because it's just a picture of something greater. See that, something cool. So, when John says there's a greater coming, he's trying to point them to something, to someone. And so that's what God's trying to get through to you today. Whatever you've experienced of God is repeatable. And it's repeatable in a deeper and deeper way. That God always has more. Because John says when people were being baptized by water, they came out, there's this moral awakening and there's a catharsis that you experience when you start telling the truth about the mess in your life. It feels good. It really does. I've had different ones of you. We've done talks on being honest and being, no you know, truth-telling and being vulnerable. Say, that's so hard, but it was so good when I did that, when I was speaking, letting them know who I really am. But there's something more than that. And John was saying, as good as that was, that is just priming you for something greater. So my question to you is, I want to tell you a story. If, if, if the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is God's personal empowering presence in the world, who comes to pursue us and point us to Jesus and then to immerse his presence, if that's, what, if that's part of who the Holy Spirit is, is there any place in your life where that resonates that, you, that maybe you look at now and go, I'm getting awakened for something. I'm being awakened for this more. There's something God is knocking on the door of my heart To invite me into, if that's where you're at, we're gonna we're gonna close the service here in a second. I'm gonna tell you a quick story, uh, and we'll close with this. We're gonna we're gonna do communion today. It's gonna be self serve. All right, you ever done self serve communion before? Hey, we're doing it today, and it doesn't mess it up because either God's here or He's not. No matter what I say or anybody else says. So, there was a lady named Carol, and she was a 30 something mom, five kids, uh, follower of Jesus. A leader in her, her faith community, and she was just like respected by everybody. She was a sure She was like one of those people, a pillar in her community, and her husband was a very successful. He, he had been a very successful professional, made a lot of money, and then he and his wife both came to Christ. He gave that career up and became a pastor, uh, but it got really, really hard. Pastoring can do that. Even though the church that he became pastor of became the biggest church in their denomination in the whole country, all of the United States, under his leadership, he, he just got burned out and resigned. And so he went back to a, a, like a, a consulting gig, and his wife was just cruising along. You no, know, they were in the, the church, and their lives were just as happy as could be, except under the surface, under that like nice-looking surface, was someone who was really self-righteous, and judgmental, and was just going through the motions Didn't really, wasn't really, there wasn't a, a love for God, a deep love for God in her heart anymore. And she kind of covered it up by just being right, right? That's what happened. That's how, one of the ways we cover up our lack of real love for God, is we just think, I just need to be right. I need to be right. And so in her church, she was like one of the enforcers. Of being right, and especially in the area of the Holy Spirit. So, if people in their church began to have experiences with God, and it got a little too carried away, she would confront them, and eventually just run them out of the church. Now, you may say, "Well, that's hard to reconcile someone who follower of Jesus with that kind of behavior." Very common. So, her husband's traveling, and one day she has a dream. In her dream, she sees herself on her street, and, and they lived at, at the end of a cul-de-sac, just like I do, and at the end of her cul-de- their cul-de-sac, she had a little pulpit in her dream, and she was standing behind the pulpit, and she was giving this seven-point sermon against the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, and as she's working through her sermon, all these people she knew, just like all of you are sitting here, were just sitting in folding chairs in her cul-de-sac, and she's just preaching away, and she's born like that, and she's just nailing them, and telling them just how Stay away from that Holy Spirit stuff. And all of a sudden, when she gets to the seventh point, she wakes up, and the Holy Spirit falls on her. She begins to speak in tongues. She didn't believe in tongues. And she just stops, and she's just immersed in the presence of God like more than she'd ever experienced in her life. And she went through weeks of this awakening of just how Frankie. how hypocritical and simple and how dry she was. And she just started saying, God, if I've been wrong about this, what else have I been wrong about? And she just began, she started unplugging from all these leadership roles she had in her church. She said, what am I like a mess? And she was just shaken in a way. I, I, I actually know her. Met her well after this, but very confident woman. I mean, just poised and smart and, and you know, really quite a leader uh, in her own right even though her husband is a pretty well-known leader she melted down day after day and week after week and she tells the story her husband would come home or would call home and say you know to the kids that answer the phone hey let me speak to mom well you know mom's busy right now well I need to talk to her you know get her on the phone he goes man she's in her room crying what's she crying about I don't know she cries all the time now and she was just repenting. She was repenting. She started thinking of all these people who had been hungry for God that she'd acted and, and she started going to those people one by one by one by one after another and apologizing. And she said it was just wonder, one wonderful reconciliation after another. But it was hard on her because she was having to admit how poorly she'd acted. And she had this reputation, you know, that, that was being just brushed as she did this. But... As that was happening, some, this weight was just slowly, with each time she apologized, each amends she made, like it lifted off of her. And finally, to her husband, he said, "What's wrong with you?" They had this; he was, they were kind of having an argument. He he wasn't happy with her being like this. He said, "What's wrong with you?" She said, "That's what's talking about you know." And they and they and they're having dinner. And, and, and she's talking about how God is at work in her life and just kind of turning things upside down. And he goes, well, I suppose you're going to tell me you speak in tongues. And he's taking a bite like this, and she says, I do. And he stuck his fork into his cheek, like, oh. <laughs> he goes, what? Because she, that was, her, that was her crusade. You get rid of those people. And something had changed inside her. And she began to see that her husband had been, his, his whole faith had gotten choked off because God had done a deep work in her life when they both came Christ and had filled him with the Holy Spirit, and she had been instrumental in his quenching. And so she began to just pray, God, would you awaken my husband and do whatever you want with him? And, and she said to him that day at that, at that uh, meal, she said, if you ever want to become a pastor again, I'm, I'm all for it. There's the reason why he left. One of the reasons was because his wife was sick of him being a pastor. He said, I'm not telling you I want you to do that. That was hard. But if if that's what God wants, I'm for what God wants. Who are you and where's my wife? (laughs) But that's what the Holy Spirit does. And then soon into their lives, this love just pouring into their lives. And God started showing. And she started a little Bible study with some friends. And all these people started coming. To To the point where in this house, there would be a hundred. They would open the windows of all the rooms and people would sit outside in the grass. And outside the patio, they opened the sliding glass doors because the Spirit of God was just like romancing the beautiful sea of like they were finding their first love again. Because the Spirit had pursued them and repointed them to Jesus, showed them that they needed them. They'd become a bunch of Pharisees. And then he started pouring the when they responded and they repented, he started pouring love. And this this thing just blew up. And that is how the vineyard moved. Because that was John Wimber's wife. And I could go on and tell you that that there's way more details. That little group of burned-out Pharisees began to confess because the Spirit, because God had more for them. Because He always has more for us. Always. He has so much more for us than what our plans are for our lives. But He pursues us. And we run. And no no matter where we run to, He keeps pursuing us. So I want to ask you, maybe you're in Carol's place in some way. And we're going to have self-serve communion, because I feel like it would, you, know, you guys in the worship team, you get to come back up, and we're going to play and close. Let the Lord minister. If this, you're in a place where maybe, maybe you felt it before I described it, one of the roles of the spirit is maybe you felt pursued by God recently. In some way, God's making himself real. Maybe you've been at that place for a while. Now, you're coming to terms with, like Carol did, I've been a Pharisee. I've been going through the motions. I've been chasing other things instead of pursuing God. Whatever it is. You know, God used to be in the center of my life, but now other things are in the center of my life, and there's not even room for in the center of my life anymore. You know, God loves me, and I have a wonderful plan for my own life. Thank you very much, God. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe every opportunity that you used to run to, like to serve people, you don't do that anymore. There's a hundred reasons why you don't go to a Bible study, or come to church, or pray, or anything. And maybe you're at that place where you're going, how did my heart get here, where God's just waking you and drawing you, saying, I want to pour my spa I want to meet you. I want you to know what it's like to be immersed in the love I have for you. And that, and that the love I have for you, I want you to know that that love will flow out of you to other people and, and change your life. And it will change you like that piece of cloth is dipped in I. So... There is a sense of the Lord just resting here in the room during worship. I don't know if you picked it up, but it's that sweet thing where God draws near and says, "Let me embrace you. Let me immerse you. My hug is going to immerse you. My hug's going to become an immersion." In- but you have it where you're at. Where, wherever you are at you may not be where the person next to you. So we're going to just do that song again when He walks into the room because He wants things to change. But the ball's in your court. The embrace is waiting you, and the embrace is in. And we meet him in communion in his broken body. And this is what Jesus did on the night he was betrayed. He said, I'm I'm gonna suffer and die for your sin. And if you come to me, I'm gonna forgive you and I'm gonna pour out my spirit on you. And it's a renewal experience. And so this is his body that was broken for you. This blood that was shed. When you take it, you're remembering what he did for you. Welcoming. And when you welcome Jesus, you're gonna start filling you with. It. So as you come and take these elements today, as the band plays, just come. With repentance in your heart, where repentance, where is it needed? What do you need to own? And, and maybe what you're starting right now is that, what you're doing today, just to start. You don't have to do the whole gig today, but start wherever you are, whatever it is. Why don't you stand with me and pray? And, and after you take I'd like you, if you, if you can, to take communion and, and like consider the altar. It's not a holy place, but it's a place where we say, I want to meet with God. So if you want to take communion and just stand up here or kneel, like we like to do, and just thought. let him say whatever he wants to say to you. Father, thank you for the, your son Jesus that comes to us through your word and also through the bread and the wine. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who's been pursuing us and showing us why we need Jesus. We come to you. Three. We want to come with repentance in our hearts today. We ask that you embrace us and immerse us, presence. Fill us with your spirit fresh way.